Hello and welcome to Nakuba in Brief, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. On this series, we explore the opportunities and challenges facing the higher education business office. My name is Neil Gavigan, Policy and Advocacy Manager here at Nakubo, and I am joined today by Fabrizio Delozio, Associate Vice Provost for Enrollment Management and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and Kevin O'Sullivan, Senior Vice President of Enrollment Management and Student Affairs at Iona University. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I think it would be great if we could get uh, get started. Could each of you share a little bit about your your respective universities? Uh, where are you located? What does your student population look like? I feel like that's a great entry point for any conversation about enrollment. Kevin, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, certainly. So Iona University is a small to medium-sized Catholic institution in New Rochelle, uh, New York. We're located just about 20 minutes north of Midtown Manhattan, um, we've been around 80 years, founded by the Edmund Rice Irish Christian Brothers uh, in the legacy of St. Columba. And we serve primarily as a regional university, covering or attracting students predominantly from New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts. Uh, but with that being said, we do have a national reach. We have students from 48 different states, almost 50 countries uh, that have enrolled at Iona. We do offer Division One athletics. We have 23 NCAA Division One sports. Our total enrollment is just about uh, 3,500 students. That's spread out over our School of Arts and Sciences, our New York Presbyterian Iona School of Health Sciences in collaboration with New York Presbyterian Hospital, and our Lapetta School of Business. Great. And, and Fabrizio? Yeah, so the University of Tennessee at Knoxville is a public flagship university. We are the only flagship in the state of Tennessee, and we're located in Knoxville, which is about two and a half hours from Nashville, Tennessee. We're 225 years old as a university. We have 11 colleges across multiple disciplines, more than 900 undergraduate and graduate programs of study. Um, in addition to being the flagship, we are the one of two land grants in the state of Tennessee. Our application volume is significant. We've got a pretty large class, but we really work hard to make sure that the education that we provide is very tailored to students and is focused on their needs to be successful. Great. And how, how many students do you have enrolled? We have about 34,000, just under 34,000 all in, and about 7,000 of those are graduate students at the university. Wow. So I love that we have two universities of such kind of different shape and scope. I think it's 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 really fascinating to hear some different different perspectives on this. We're catching up to Fabrizio here. That was going to be my next question: is what's your strategy? No, I guess that's our strategic plan about. is to grow to uh, thirty four thousand. <laughs> Just three years, right? <laughs> yeah, three years, great. <laughs> well, we'll have you back on in three years. We'll have you back on. We can we can duke this out again. You know, kind of jumping into to a bit about you. I think before we get into the the uh, you know enrollment and trends and policy uh, that we're going to talk about, it'd be curious. I'm curious to hear a bit about how you how you found yourself in the role and kind of what keeps you there, what inspires you. I started off in higher education uh, out of school. I was a grad assistant in admissions, got my graduate degree at Buffalo, um, worked in admissions for a few years, then worked for a CRM company in higher education, focused on admissions. That company was acquired by one of the testing agencies in admissions, and we I worked there for 17 years where I led our higher ed sales service and consulting division. And after 17 years... I said, you know what? I want to get back to campus. I want to implement the things that me and my team were recommending to universities to increase and um, enhance their enrollment strategies. And so that brought me to Knoxville about six years ago, 2017. And 
though I value my experience previously, I haven't looked back. I had no intention of working in higher education. I had graduated from college, was working at a, a national advertising agency named Tracy Locke. Uh, was a project manager there working on Pepsi Sports was my account. So Pepsi was a big uh, client, our biggest client at the time. And I got a call from the university on my birthday. And it was about five, six months after I graduated. I thought it was the alumni office asking for money. I was like, here comes the donation. Like, <laughs> we're going to sing you happy birthday telegram. You're going to make a donation. <laughs> and as it turns out, it was the office of admissions calling about a job that I had applied for back in April of my wow. senior year and uh, had initially interviewed, they went in a different direction and were calling me back months later to say, Hey, there's another position available. And we actually think you'd be a really good fit for this. Would you consider it? The opportunity to earn my master's degree is what brought me back. I said, I, you know, I'll come back. I'll work for two years. I love the institution. It was Sacred Heart University up in Connecticut. I'll get my MBA and I'll go back and work in the business world. And Tracy Locke was like, we'll actually, you know, hire you back and you can work on the account side, you know, as a promotion. That was my initial plan. Two years in, what they failed to tell me was that this is back in 2005. There are no online programs and you're going to travel so much that you're actually never going to be able to go to class. So I had three credits in two years, needless to say, uh, the MBA took a little long. I was like Van Wilder of the MBA program. <laughs> I got promoted and then I got promoted again later on and it kind of just carved out this, this path in admissions. And what I found is that I loved being on a college campus. I love seeing students every day. I love being around the students, working with the students, both the students were recruiting on the high school side and then the current students that are there on the campus that remember you from when you were out on the road and brought them into the school and watching them go through the life cycle of being a student and accomplishing their goals and their milestones while they're in school. It's just been really, really rewarding. And um, I'm thankful that the path that I found unintentionally has led me to, to where I am today. So, so it sounds like the thread between both of your kind of histories here, which are very different, such different histories, but kind of a similar facet is this idea of serving students, of being involved in higher education, of being on a campus, of of contributing in that way. And I think that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and I didn't know I wanted to serve students, right? It was kind of yeah. a learned uh, or kind of just absorbed. And I'm so thankful that this is the path that that we kind of went down and, and yeah. called upon. I think. There's lots of noble professions out there, but being able to connect a student to opportunity, right? And this is what we do, right? Opportunity. Opportunity to live a better life, earn a good income. That's pretty admirable. And that's that's what's kept me in this work in one way or another. I, I want to roll that into a follow-up question of, of, you know, obviously higher education, getting opportunity to kids out of high school or, or retention, you know, keeping them in school once they've once they've entered. Higher ed has been in the spotlight a lot for the past few years, especially for the past few months with, with some of what's been happening in Washington um, with the Biden proposal to forgive student loans, among other things. Uh, the Supreme Court ultimately ruled against the Biden administration's proposal to forgive student debt. And I think that that's, that's kind of put, put higher ed even more under the microscope. And so when you're talking to students and kind of trying to communicate the value to both students and I imagine to parents, how have those conversations changed? What are you, what are you saying? Yeah, I think the conversation is really around opportunity to have an impact, 
an impact on their future families, right, on their income, on their society. We all know that when someone goes to college and gets a degree, less likelihood to smoke, less incarcerations, all those social benefits that we see, those increase with a college education. So I try to appeal to earnings, but also this is an opportunity for you to learn about yourself as an individual, right? It's not just about a job. It's about knowledge. It's about growing as a person. Many of the students that we work with have already decided they're going to higher education. And there's a population that hasn't. And those are the ones where we have to kind of lean in on some of the things that I just mentioned. It becomes a value-added discussion, um, to your point. And the conversation shifts depending on the student, whether you're talking to the student or the parent, and also what their familiarity is with the college process. It's a lot easier to just discuss the college process or the next steps when you're working with a student whose mom and dad or both mom and dad have already been through college and been through the college process versus when you're working with a student who's a first-generation non-college student whose parents don't have that background and need a little bit more support to understand not only why you go to school or why you go to, to a college or university for your next level of education, but also what is the return on that investment? What is the value? Why? And and helping them through the the oper- like the the procedural steps of what comes next, not just the application gets submitted, but helping them navigate the FAFSA process. And ironically, the school the students who need the most support are most often in districts where they're not able to get the most because the counselors are so stretched thin that that's where our staffs have the opportunity to to really impact the most. Agreed. So uh, on that, I know that the Department of Education is doing a number of things in that space to try and, um, you know, facilitate enrollment, uh, make it easier for folks to enroll, uh, whether it's access to financial aid or in tools like the College Scorecard to get more information about outcomes from from colleges and universities. I, I know that FAFSA simplification right now might be uh, a hot topic or something you might be losing sleep over, but I'm curious to hear how, how you see those changes from Ed um, changing the work that you do. I have not heard a single family talk to us about the College Scorecard. Yeah. So I think it's great that there's that tool out there. I'm not sure if people are looking at it. Um, I hear a lot about U.S. and U.S. News and World Report and other potential tools, um, but not that one. In terms of FAFSA simplification, again, the only people that are talking about it, I think, are people like Kevin and I and you, Neil. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when they release everything in the end of December, and it probably will be the very end of December, and then universities are going to have to pivot pretty quickly in order to get that financial aid out, because that'll be past most of our first action, early action deadlines. I guess I I should say that for those listeners who might not be familiar, the FAFSA Simplification Act, uh, they've been, the Department of Education recently announced in March that they would release the 24-25 FAFSA in uh, December of this year, of 2023, much later than than they normally would. And I understand that that's going to have significant impacts on the way that you both do your jobs and the way that kids can access FAFSA, the, the aid that they need to go to school. Yeah. I mean, they didn't initially announce that. They initially just said, we're making changes. And then they realized, wow, these changes are going to have an impact that's going to take a longer amount of time to roll out. The Simplification Act, in a very broad, broad level or highest level, is reducing the number of questions that students are going our families are going to have to uh, complete in order to submit a financial aid, uh, completed financial aid application. And it goes from just about 100 questions down to about 40 questions. 
And so colleges now are going to have to respond and take time to implement all that and figure out how it impacts the way they distribute not just federal aid and state aid, but institutional-based aid and things like that uh, to work with students. To Fabrizio's point, no students are asking about it because they don't really it, – it, in their mind, it doesn't impact their process. It impacts the way we as colleges and universities like to operate on our timelines. So I actually think the questions that I'm getting more from students about right now is the college board. And the SAT test optional is still on the top of their mind. Who's going to keep it? Who's going to you know go away from it? And then the digital test format, how will that change? Is there anything there? And then some rankings questions. I get some of the U.S. News and reports. I'm starting to get more, too, on, on Princeton Review rankings and what do they all mean, right? And I think if you use them for informational purposes rather than cementing your list, right? Like some can be used as a guide to learn more about the school. If they're in that context, if you're, if you're helping it to learn about a school and there's, there's context to that, it's helpful. If it's just a numerical ranking, it doesn't do a lot of good for the students. Yeah. And to add to that, I think Kevin's spot on. I think it's a tool that can help you narrow down a populate, a group of schools or universities to look at, but there's really nothing replacing that conversation, that discussion with an admissions counselor, a campus visit, if you're fortunate and you're able to come out and visit, doing your own research. Because going to college isn't just about the numbers. A lot of it is about fit. And you're not going to know fit from reading Princeton Review, right? You'll get some information, um, but you really need to kind of come out, meet folks at the school, meet students. And how does it make you feel? Like, is it a place you can live for four years? And again, have have that success academically, but also socially. Right. And I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. And I guess here we are having just experienced a global pandemic that changed the way that a lot of people do a lot of things. How has that affected the way that you reach out to students and the way that you kind of engage locally with, with high schoolers, with folks, you know, whether it's, you know, in your town, in your region or nationally? Yeah, so at, at Knoxville and I suspect most in universities, everyone leaned in to online during COVID. Some were already kind of doing some online recruitment, whether it was an open house online or an info session online, but many weren't and have had to rush to kind of implement and pivot to that. I also know some have continued those programs. Um, at University of Tennessee, Knoxville, we continue to have an online recruitment initiative, but we've also rebalanced, right? So we we had just had a session. We talked about you can't do everything, and you need to think about strategically what's going to give you the biggest impact. And so before when everything was online, now maybe we're doing 15% online and we pivoted back to in-person recruitment. And I actually think from a student standpoint, while the pandemic was challenging, because so many colleges and universities were forced to ensure that their virtual visit opportunities, their website, their content was updated, the college, the beginning of the college search for a student has never been better because they have more access to information than ever before. The content is new. It's updated. It's accurate. The way you can navigate a virtual visit is so much more advanced than it was just three, four years ago. And so it can really be an advantage to the students starting their college search now. And I think it's important for colleges to help students realize that, that there's not you're not at a disadvantage now. You're actually at an advantage because not only do you have the ability to go do on-campus visits and all the in-person engagement, 
But if you're a family or a student who doesn't have access to get on the plane and fly across country, or there's a dynamic at home which doesn't allow you to go out and visit campuses, you have really good resources at your disposal on your smartphone, on your laptop, however you want to absorb your your content. That's a fascinating point. I wouldn't have thought about that, but hearing you explain it, it really makes sense that, you know, obviously the pandemic made a lot of us take stock of the way that we're doing things and, and make sure that we're doing it as well as we can be, hopefully. So that, that that's fascinating and it totally makes sense. You know, here we're, we're at the annual meeting, we're at the 2023 Nikubo annual meeting. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to. Are there any closing thoughts that you would like to leave uh, listeners with about, about any of this? Yeah, no, I think I'll pivot back to what I had said earlier about the college search process. Again, this is a very personal decision. Your family's typically involved. There's finances involved. And so really take the time to to do the due diligence to assess, is this the right place for you? Is this a place you see yourself socially, academically, being involved, being engaged, being happy, especially during this time of mental illness and just all that going on? Like, this is a place you're going to you're going to succeed. And and you know what? If you get it wrong, that's okay, right? Like this isn't life or death. You get it wrong, you transfer somewhere else. But that's not an ideal situation. So visit campus, ask the right questions, do your homework, and um, you'll, you'll be much happier if you do. I agree with all that. I think for any students or families, if you're looking at it from the college search process, Fabrizio hit it head on, you know, the importance of visiting a campus, it can't be overstated enough. You know, that's going to be critical in identifying fit. But for professionals listening, you know, uh, to the podcast, I would actually use this as an opportunity. This is my first Nakubo conference, not quite 20 years in higher education, but uh, quite a while. And I think it's really beneficial for somebody on the enrollment management side or student affairs to attend a conference like this because it's different than the sessions or the topics that you typically hear about at the conferences you would attend. So I would, you know, encourage my colleagues that are on my side of the desk in enrollment management and student affairs that if you have the opportunity to come to a conference like this, do it. And I would also encourage in meeting with a lot of the uh, CFOs and business officers that I've had the chance to meet with over the last uh, day or two is encourage them to go to a NAGAC or an enrollment or a student affairs conference to get a sense of some of the challenges that your colleagues across campus are facing on a daily basis and hear it, you know, from them, because it's been really informative to learn how people look at the same challenges differently based off of the, you know, the lens in which they work. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. And I, I guess I have to ask a follow-up question. I mean, to the, to the CBOs listening and to those folks listening, is there anything in, in, you know, if I'm putting you on the spot, but is there any specific that you would, you would, ask them to share with their enrollment colleagues or their colleagues in admissions? Um, not necessarily a specific. I think communication is essential. And I think oftentimes we're working towards the same higher level goal. But at times we we sense that there's a tension or a disconnect in how we're going to get there. And when you meet with everyone, it's like, oh, actually, no, we're all going towards the same thing. And I told this in our session prior, there was in our keynote address today, a line that stuck out to me that has just been stuck in my mind now all day was people who understand people always win. And just taking the time to understand the challenges that your colleagues are facing and the work they're doing across campus will help you navigate, you know, work through those challenges and be a better colleague to them, but also help you accomplish your goals quicker. 
Absolutely. I think that's a great that's a great way to close it out. Fabrizio, Kevin, thank you both so much for joining. Um, this has been fantastic talking with both of you. To the listeners, thank you for listening. And um, just a reminder that you can find this episode anywhere you find podcasts and you can find some resources related to the episode on nakubo.org. Guys, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you.